It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, it's your host Edward Ford and welcome to the Growth of Podcast, the show about all things B2B SaaS marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Advanced B2B, the growth marketing agency that helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now, joining us today on the show is Caroline Guo, Head of Growth at HashiCorp. And in this episode, we're talking about how to 2x pipeline and user acquisition in just one and a half years. Now, Caroline joined HashiCorp just over three years ago to build, hire, and lead the growth team. And in this episode, she discusses how they've grown both their growth team and business, including how to build effective go-to-market models, how Caroline and her team built out HashiCorp's entire SaaS business segment, and how her team operate across the entire funnel from acquisition and activation to monetization and retention. We also hear the main factors that enable their growth team to hit those results, including the importance of diversity within hiring your team and the workplace. So there's all this and more on episode 76 of the Growth of Podcast with Caroline Guo, Head of Growth at HashiCorp. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Caroline Guo to the show, who is Head of Growth at HashiCorp. So Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited about this episode as today we're discussing how to 2x pipeline and user acquisition in just one and a half years, which is something you achieved and on numbers, I think any SaaS marketer would love to hit. So to kick things off and to set the scene, you joined HashiCorp about three years ago when the company had less than 300 employees and was just beginning to build out their core marketing engine. So can you describe the situation in the marketing and growth teams when you joined? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Um, so so I actually joined HashiCorp back in July of 2018. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I actually didn't know too much about the company at the time. I, I knew about sort of the space and, and where things were going, but I know how big HashiCorp was going to actually become. Uh, and so when I joined the company, we had about 250 people or so um, at within HashiCorp. And just to put things into perspective, we're at about 1,400 employees now. So we've we've grown quite a bit over the last few years. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, but so when I joined, we were, we were very, very early stages um, on, on the marketing team. I think we had about 25 people within the marketing org. Uh, the, the core functions then were certainly PMM. We had one other person on the growth team. Uh, we had some core events folks, digital design, web dev, comms. And since then, we've come quite a long way. I, I mean, we've built out a, a fair amount of other marketing uh, sub-functions within that, including like our, our core marketing ops team, a BI team, partner marketing, and, and more. Um, but at the time, the, the growth team was just myself and one other individual. And when I first came in, um, I actually came in from a, a background of product management. And the growth team was structured by growing products initially. So um, myself and my other colleague were focused on how do we grow uh, our, our two core products, Terraform and Vault. Um, and and this, was, this was certainly interesting because we were um, positioned to understand, okay, uh, what are the core sort of use cases and how are people consuming our products uh, and how do we grow um, the acquisition, uh, activation, retention, and monetization. 
So we actually did that for about you know three to five months and realized we probably needed to shift our um, our growth team structure quite a bit because instead of just looking at the core products, we shifted into actually looking at the core business models that we operated in. So how do we grow the core business models that HashiCorp was in? And to to sort of level set on those, there are actually um, at the time there are two, but there are now three core business models I'd say that we operate in. HashiCorp as a whole is a uh, open source company first. So um, our co-founders, Mitchell and Armand, um, had actually built uh, a, a ton of really great open source products um, in the space that that um, picked up a ton of traction for a lot of our practitioners. And over time, that, that naturally fed into um, the second business model that we operate in, which is the enterprise space. Um, the enterprise space, of course, uh, was sort of, you know, how we make most of our, our revenue. Um, and at the time when I joined, it was very, very unique because uh, I think for the first three to four months that I was at HashiCorp, we didn't actually have any form of a marketing engine um, from a traditional, you know, like marketing automation, lead scoring, nurturing uh, program in place. And so we were actually riding off of just pure inbound demand from a lot of our open source practitioners that really loved our products and wanted to come in and say, hey, I actually want to want to pay you all for um, some form of uh, like an annualized contract or um, enterprise agreement and SLAs because we, you know, the people at our company love the product so much and we've been using it that like this just sort of makes the, the next logical sense for us. Um, and so we were writing off of just a lot of inbound demand for the first three or four months that I was there, uh, which was what's crazy because I actually hadn't been in any company that I experienced that. Um, and at a certain point, we realized, okay, you know, this is certainly not going to be sustainable because we need to build an actual um, growth engine and a marketing engine here. Uh, and so over time, we decided, okay, what are the actual things that we need to put in place in, in the core foundations um, to ensure that, you know, we're not only depending on inbound demand, but we can slowly build a outbound uh, marketing engine as well. Well, that's really cool to hear. That's definitely hyper growth. And I think this is where many SaaS companies and marketing teams hope to get to. So it's awesome to hear your story of how you actually did it. And as you said, you came in to build, hire and lead the growth team. So essentially grow the growth team, which is uh, pretty meta cool. So talk us through <laughs> the, the first things you did then after joining, what did you actually do and how did you approach the first 30, 60, 90 days at the company? Yeah, so so when I actually joined uh, HashiCorp, I came in as an IC, and um, I came in as a as a growth marketing manager. And uh, the really unique thing about uh, my my career tra trajectory at HashiCorp is, as the company was growing, it was also growing my career. And so over time, it sort of made sense uh, to for, for me to start to build and and um, grow out and and hire the the core growth team as as I was building out the marketing engine. Um, and so. The, the first few things that we focused on was, okay, how do we actually build out the core um, marketing engine and what does that look like? So we built out a, a pretty strong framework uh, and I'd say, you know, within the company, we're, we're um, fairly, we have a fairly strong systems thinking culture. So what that means is uh, we like to think about the business as a core system and what are the different components that would go into the system, the system being the marketing engine itself. Um, and so for the growth marketing side of things, that's oftentimes um, how are we actually going out and acquiring users uh, or net new names, engaging with them in some form of uh, like an education system or through nurturing uh, or through digital channels and then getting them uh, engaged past a point where, hey, maybe they're ready to talk to someone in sales, maybe they're ready to engage in an opportunity um, and so on. 
And so that is sort of the core framework. And in order to build that, that core marketing engine and that core system, we needed uh, a lot of the tools, the processes and the people in place. Um, and so the, the first order business was mapping out that core framework and deciding, okay, what's the engine? What are the inputs and the outputs that we want to build in? Uh, and then going in actually building. I often like to tell my team, um, think about impact first and tactics second. So uh, big picture, right? Like ideal state, what would we actually wanna build here uh, if we had you know, all the resources in the world uh, and, and uh, the, the scope and the time, like what would be our ideal state? And so sort of mapping that out against our framework and then um, breaking that out into, into separate chunks. So you know, what are we gonna do in uh, our initial MVP of this, V1, V2, et cetera. Um, and so, from from the start, we didn't have any form of a uh, marketing automation tool in place. So we decided, um, let's move forward with uh, adopting Marketo. And with Marketo, let's build out really the, the basics of what you need in a marketing engine, which are going to be like your, your general nurturing programs, your lead scoring, um, how you're looking at the different types of personas that you bring into the database, and how we move them along the journey of educating them about HashiCorp, about HashiCorp products, um, about how to engage uh, with the different types of products that we have, and so forth. Um, so, so those are the really the basics of, of our core um, growth marketing engine that we built from the get-go. And you know, the, the philosophy here was certainly um, start off with, with the basics and start off with the most simple, simple way. Because uh, if you sort of try to build something that's too complicated from the get-go, it, it, it's really difficult, first of all, to actually build if you don't have any of the core foundations in place. And um, oftentimes, the, the end users or the people who are building it are not really fully going to grok um, the, the system that you're, that you're trying to build. Uh, and so we really started simple. We had a, a, a really simple lead scoring framework in place, a really simple nurturing program in place that just educated um, our, our users on um, the, the core, I guess, ethos, pathos, logos of HashiCorp and, and our messaging and, and sort of how to adopt our products. Uh, and then over time, as they matured, we decided, okay, this is probably a good time for us to pass, you know, XYZ users over to sales for a potential uh, opportunity discussion. And so that core engine and getting that running is, is really what I was focused on initially um, within the first, I'd say, three to six months of joining HashiCorp. Yeah, that's really, really good to hear. And one thing that helped you achieve those pipeline and user acquisition results was adopting and implementing effective go-to-market models. So... Talk us through, how do you build out an effective go-to-market model? Yeah, so um, I'm, I come from a background in uh, technology consulting and product management. So I have a, <laughs> I'd say it's, it's a little bit more ingrained in me to have a, a frameworks uh, mindset or systems thinking <laughs> mindset to begin with. So um, the, you know, the analogy that um, I, I like to use is um, uh, sort of, you know, how do you build initially like a cupcake, a birthday cake, and a wedding cake um, for any form of a model. So um, I, I oftentimes think about, you know, building out uh, a function, building out teams, et cetera, as such. It's, it's sort of a roadmap, right? Um, what do we want to do for our MVP? And then how do we want to build on top of that over time? Um, I, I use that framework coupled with uh, really focusing on understanding um, at, at a at a very uh, detailed level, what are the core business models that we operate in? And then what are the associated user prospect and customer journeys related to those models? So um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, the, some of our core models were open source uh, and then enterprise. 
We also have a third business model that we operate in, which is our SaaS business model. So each of those models have very unique um, journeys and they're all, they're all different and, and they're all sort of um, engaging with different types of personas. Um, on the open source side, it's very much so looking at, you know, how are people coming in and finding and, and, um, and downloading our open source products and adopting them. On the enterprise side, it's very much so how are we actually going out and generating demand with the right types of personas, educating them about um, our core products and getting them interested in uh, potentially speaking to a sales rep for an opportunity. And then on the SaaS side, we're looking more specifically at the, the user adoption journey. So how are we acquiring users to come and sign up for our SaaS products, activating them down the funnel, retaining them month over month, and then potentially you know, converting them into monetization from a, like a monthly billing perspective. Um, so so the, the core of it is, is really, you know, really, really understanding the, the users and, and the journeys that, um, that they are expected to follow uh, across each of these models, and then being able to build against that. So I think if you're able to understand those models and those journeys very, very well and understand your users, you could probably build uh, against any form of metric or, or growth goal um, that, that you have in mind. Uh, so again, that, that sort of brings it back to impact first and tactic second. Like I, I think with the, with the tactics, um, you can sort of play around with a lot of different uh, growth marketing or digital channels here. Um, we, we did a few different um, test campaigns that uh, some, some went well, some uh, proved to be a little bit less successful than others. But, but once you have that core model and that core user journey framework in place, being able to um, uh, you know, map that out, understand at any point where users are along that journey, and then hit, hit those users potentially with like a net new uh, like digital campaign or net new digital channel that you want to test, um, that will really unlock uh, a, a very effective go-to-market model from a growth marketing perspective. Um, and so I, I mentioned the, the core frameworks of the, of the model, the core roadmap thinking uh, in terms of cup, cupcake, birthday cake, and wedding cake. Uh, and then I think the final piece is, um, the final very important piece is the, the data and the metric side. So ensuring that um, you have a really strong understanding of what is the actual um, you know, user telemetry, product telemetry, as uh, each individual user organization moves along the user journeys. So uh, at a given point, you know, how many people are um, just getting started with our products? How many people, what percentage of our, our users or um, our prospects are actually pretty active or where are they dropping off? Um, and being able to have that full set of um, data and insights into that end-to-end -end journey across every single business model uh, is, is extremely important because first of all, we, we wanna get that data right. And second of all, we wanna make sure everyone's looking at the same set of information to drive decision-making forward. Yeah, that's awesome. I love impact first, tactics second, and I love frameworks. I'm all about the frameworks, so that was great. So that was the theory. And I was thinking, let's go into the practice. So could you give one example of a go-to-market model you launched at HashiCorp? Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I talked a little bit about the SaaS side of things, so I'll, I'll give an example more on the enterprise side. So um, as HashiCorp was was growing quite a bit um, over the last couple of years, um, that ultimately meant that our, our sales work was also growing uh, in, in conjunction. Uh, and so we um, went through an exercise within the company where we were looking at account segmentation and how do we want to build our sales organization so that it corresponded with how we went to market uh, 
externally, right, to a lot of our customers. Um, what, what you'll see at a lot of enterprise companies is, is probably a, a pretty similar model where um, you'll have anywhere between like three to four different sales segments uh, that, that the sales team is split off by. And each of those segments have slightly different um, selling motions. And the selling motions are different because the, the prospects and the customers will engage with the company in uh, pretty different ways. So an example of that is for us, we looked at, okay, um, what are the sort of the, the largest customers that we have and how do they buy and consume our, our products? Um, and so what that ended up being is more of the, the Fortune 500 type companies and, and, and how they consumed our products was through particularly longer deal cycles. Um, it often required anywhere between, you know, 10 to 15 different people involved in, in a lot of these conversations at every single account. Uh, and it was very much so high touch, um, highly tailored marketing campaigns that would help drive a lot of these, um, a lot of these deals through. Uh, and so that's, that's sort of one way uh, to, to segment one of our, uh, one of our customers, customer groupings. Um, on the flip side, if you look at like our SMB space, it's a lot more about high velocity, um, lower deal size, but um, uh, much faster um, opportunity open to close one rates. Uh, and so that's going to be a very different motion, right? We're, we're relying a lot more heavily on digital tactics um, through emails, uh, through inviting them to, to webinars, um, and through product uh, education nurtures along the way. Uh, and, and there's a lot more handholding with the digital side of things on the growth marketing, on the growth marketing space. Um, on the, the sort of Fortune 500 type uh, accounts, that's going to be a lot more high-touch, account-based marketing, account-specific. Uh, and so there's there's going to be a wide-ranging spectrum, really just dependent on how each of the customers uh, engage and consume our, our products. Um, th and therefore, the subsequent go-to-market model is going to be tailored against that. Yeah, that makes total sense for sure. And you also develop the SaaS segment of HashiCorp's business, including systems architecture, the roadmap, team functions, and analytics, which is a, a pretty huge undertaking. But I think it's super interesting that you did that. So can you talk us through the process of how you actually built out the SaaS segment of HashiCorp's business? Yeah, this I this was a great um, this was a great problem. I, I I thought it was you know one of the most uh, interesting business problems that we could we could solve at the time. So um, a bit of background on this is the, you know, the order in which we, we built out the business models, I would mentioned where we started off open source and then moved into enterprise. And, and for quite a while, um, that was what we were focused on within HashiCorp. Um, and so when you're operating in a uh, more of an enterprise business model, I think what you end up seeing at a lot of companies is a little bit of a um, more of like a, a waterfall approach, I guess, internally where, you know, uh, product engineering start to, to build out a set of features, um, the features to get communicated out into marketing, marketing pushes that out across, you know, the different web channels, uh, ensures that people are aware of it. Sales also pushes that out to the actual customers that they use um, or that they engage with. Uh, and there, I wouldn't say it's completely waterfall where it's, you know, one to two to three, uh, but there is a little bit of um, a, a lag between you know, when a feature goes live to when marketing pushes that out to when sales gets, gets that uh, in, in, front of the, in front of the customers as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I, th I think when you move to a SaaS um, 
business model, you can't really function in that mode anymore. Because if one thing changes in a SaaS product, there's almost immediate implications of uh, how that's going to impact potentially how finance does billing or how uh, marketing is capturing information about like uh, user product telemetry um, or how it's going to impact reporting, right? So as soon as like one thing changes in a product, it's going to flip the switch for all the other downstream GTM teams. Um, and, and you see that a lot more on the SaaS side. And I think the other difference is like when you're operating in an enterprise um, business model, there's also a lot more of a, a buffer bet between, um, you know, when the product gets built uh, and into how customers and prospects understand the product, because there's a buffer with a, an actual sales rep or a salesperson who's building that relationship with the core customer or with the core prospect. Um, in a SaaS model, you don't really get that buffer. Um, it's oftentimes like if you don't win the user immediately, you're probably going to lose them. If they don't fully understand and grok your product um, and, and the value uh, once they you know go through the onboarding workflow, you're probably going to lose the user <laughs> uh, almost immediately. And then that's it's heavily reliant on marketing to, to try and re-engage and get these folks to come back through a lot of our uh, digital channels. Um, so when we, when we actually built out our SaaS um, uh, business function, um, we actually, you know, first decided what are the core products we want to offer in a managed service um, form. And at the time, there was a fair amount of market demand uh, for, you know, providing uh, managed service version, versions of HashiCorp products. And so we knew that this was something that, that the market wanted, and um, it was a very high priority for us as, as a company. Um, however, on the internal side, it, it did require a little bit of an internal shift for us, uh, just based off the way that the different teams internally were, were um, working together. So. We actually developed, um, so w within HashiCorp, we have this idea of core, you know, uh, product trios that are driving a lot of the decisions forward across PMM, engineering, and PM. With the introduction of this, it, we actually turned this into a quattro, where we are also tagging growth uh, along in this core um, product quattro to, to determine, okay, what are the actual um, user lifecycle metrics, uh, and, and how is that determining the, the, the business? So. What we did is um, we first mapped out what is the framework, of course, bringing this back to frameworks, <laughs> uh, but, but what is the framework that um, m sort of makes the most sense for uh, a SaaS business model? So we ended up adopting, you know, uh, the pirate metrics, which is uh, pretty standard across the industry, or um, some of the folks called it ARM, which is A-A-R-M. Um, but the, the pirate metrics essentially are, you know, acquisition, activation, retention, referral, um, and revenue. Um, and so once we adopted that framework and, and got alignment and agreement across that, we started to build against that. So we started to figure out, okay, what are the core metrics and things that we want to, to capture that would determine success for um, any of our core SaaS products? Um, once we got alignment on that, it was ultimately, what is the actual systems and architecture going to look like for us to be able to capture all of this information uh, across the end-to-end -end user lifecycle? Um, and, you know, once, once we were able to get all that information and have every single team consistently looking at the same set of data, then we were in a really strong working rhythm of ensuring that, um, hey, 
what's actually happening within within the product? Like, why do we have uh, a drop off in you know the month of February versus uh, like the month of June? And uh, what is that cohort of users doing? Oh, well, we found out that they in, um, you know encountered like this specific product feature, and so how do we go back and rework some of the the workflows within the product to ensure that like this doesn't happen in the future, right? So so that that sort of pulled all the pieces together in order for us to um, really work as uh, as one unit collectively as opposed to like a traditional more waterfall approach that you might see within other um, enterprises. Um, so, and I, I think one final point on top of that too is um, we didn't, so on the systems and architecture side, it required all this data to come together across like, how is the support team gonna, gonna manage uh, and provide support for our SaaS products? Like how is finance gonna actually report out on this? Um, how's accounting going to take in this information? How's legal uh, going to get involved here? And so all the different GTM teams, including product uh, engineering, um, had to sort of come together to look at a holistic uh, systems architecture uh, workflow that captured all this information and uh, was able to push it into every single downstream uh, place for every team as well. Wow, that's awesome. And I can imagine that was a pretty incredible experience to work on that project. And uh, a SaaS funnel is so broad. You spoke there as well. It covers acquisition, activation, monetization, and retention. So how are you and your team able to effectively work across all those different areas? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question because um, it, it's sort of one of those things where you can never just focus on one part of the SaaS funnel or the, or the, or the user lifecycle um, because you don't necessarily want to forego investment in, in any of the others, right? Um, all of the areas are important. Uh, and, you know, if you forego investments in one, it will probably impact the subsequent parts of the funnel. Um, and so it, it's a little bit of a cop-out answer to say that, you know, you want to look after every single part because ultimately you do. But um, I think maybe another way of looking at it is sort of depending on the maturity of the of the product, you could probably layer in some form of a chronological focus. So um, for us, when we first developed initial MVPs and, and initial iterations of some of our SaaS products, uh, it, it made sense initially to focus purely on acquisition and activation because um, when the product was in early stages, the focus was, hey, we just want to get users in the door using the product. And so we have a baseline understanding of like, how are people coming in and engaging with the with the product? Um, and, and how is it performing? And, and are people going to stay? Um, as the product matured, and, and uh, we built in more features, and it became more robust over time, it also chronologically made sense for us to um, uh, double down our efforts in how are we retaining the users? How are we converting them to monetization over time? So I'll never, I'll, I'll say that like every single part of the funnel is important in that we have something, some form of uh, uh, like a, you know, digital campaign or, or a digital channel looking after consistently after every single part of the, of the funnel. Um, but you could probably layer in some form of a, a chronological focus, depending on the maturity of your, of your product. And and also sort of tying this back into the, the growth engine and the growth marketing engine, 
if you build a you know strong and robust enough engine to begin with a lot of these things can probably just be running in the background and your your core growth team is just looking at how do we continuously optimize it over time um and so you don't necessarily you know if you have the engine working in place improperly you don't necessarily need to have um dedicated resources consistently building against it you just have people optimizing it over time yeah for sure and Coming back to what we spoke about at the start of the episode, you doubled all those numbers, including user acquisition and pipeline. So what were the main factors that enabled you to hit those numbers and get those results? Yeah. So, uh, you know, to, to a certain extent, I think, you know, we, we, um, we had a, a really great base to, to work with in that, there's a lot of value existing in sort of the HashiCorp brand and our products are, are fairly well known um, across our practitioner space. Um, and if if you stripped out like growth marketing uh, from this as a whole, I'm sure that just based off of organic growth, like you'd, you'd see some some pretty stagnant, um, some pretty stagnant numbers. Um, but the the importance here is really areas that we could control from a, a growth side to be able to you know double a, a lot of the numbers that um we talked about so um I, you know I, I talked a lot about the the framework and um the model and having the core engine in place um because i i, I think that that core foundation really helped um get us a, a really strong baseline and gave us the uh i guess the freedom to go test different tactics and different channels um, that, that we wanted to. So um, because we had the core framework, the reporting, the engine in place, we said, okay, let's get, you know, let's get a little bit uh, creative and a little bit more unique with some of the things that we could try out. And so one thing that we, we tried was, um, you know, a lot of our practitioners are, and a lot of our users are on Twitter. Like, how do we maybe, you know, get something going fr from like a viral Twitter campaign perspective? Um, so we 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 sort of took the uh, the free swag approach and said, you know, a lot of our people love, uh, a lot of our users love swag. So how do we create some buzz by just sending out um, some free items to a lot of our, our users that uh, are early adopters or come in and, and start getting activated and engaged with with the product? And so as we started to roll this out, like people loved the, the the swag items and we're posting it about on it about at, on Twitter um, and and that created a, a fair amount of buzz um, and so that was a little bit more on the creative side that that, that we pushed out uh, which was which is interesting but um, every quarter we're every quarter and, and every month or so we're, we're thinking about different types of, of unique um, things that we can do to continue to drive um, growth. Um, but then that can only be done on top of the core foundation of the engine. So we have all the digital channels and paid acquisition channels running um, consistently over time that give us a pretty good uh, and fair amount of, of user acquisition growth. And then ultimately we ensure that they come into the product are successful and then get activated. And then ultimately, you know, that turns into retention, ultimately turns into revenue. So, so that core model really needs to be working. And then once we have that in place, it gives us the freedom to, to test out a few different um, ideas. Yeah, that's awesome. And as great as all the frameworks, models, demand plans, and tactics are, I think at the end of the day, as a marketer, you cannot go wrong with swag. Never underestimate <laughs> the power of swag. And I mean, yeah, I think that's a great example. And, um, and one thing I want to touch on before we move to our closing questions is that you're also an advocate for diversity with hiring and within the workplace. So how important has that been to your team in helping you achieve such great results together? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I love this question. Um, it, it's, it's been very important. I, I'd say, um, you know, ha having a diverse team and having a diverse, um, uh, having a diverse set of, of different mindsets and backgrounds and, and beliefs really bring a lot of unique ideas to the table. Uh, and it re really helps sort of question the status quo of, of how we do things. Uh, and so I think for, for me personally, um, diversity and inclusion and, and diversity in hiring is very important because I, I you know, I, I've had personal experiences um, where I, when I started off my career, uh, I didn't see a lot of people like myself uh, in, in tech, in consulting, in product. And I, you know, I, I do strongly believe that when different forms of minorities don't see examples of themselves, it can create self-limiting beliefs. Um, and it, it oftentimes will cause people to sort of question like, you know, can I really do this? Can this actually be done? Um, and so, so it's, it's a, a very important value for me personally. Um, and I'm, I'm very, you know, lucky to, to work at um, HashiCorp where the company and leadership really does value um, creating a very open, uh, collaborative, communicative environment for anyone to come work in, um, focusing in, in prioritizing diversity and inclusion hiring. Um, and, and that certainly, you know, emanates throughout my direct team. Um, and one thing that's that I like to focus on is, is really just attributes based hiring. Um, and, and that sort of helps remove bias from the interview process as a whole. So uh, very, very near and dear to me and uh, very, very fortunate to work at a company that um, values this as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really good to hear. And uh, Caroline, this was super good. And we could now move to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So to wrap things up, I will ask five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? <laughs> yes, I am ready. All right, let's do it. So the first question, what's the one book you would recommend others to read? Yeah, I really enjoyed reading Getting to Yes. It's about negotiations, but I think it applies to working with any team anywhere um, and working cross-collaboratively. Awesome, great recommendation. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Yeah, I um, am a little biased because I think about SaaS companies more from the product uh, and user experience perspective. So one thing that we've used, uh, that we used to use is um, ChartMogul, uh, great for SaaS, like MR, finance reporting. All you have to do, it, it's plug and play. It's very simple. Um, you plug it into your data sources and you see like everything that you need to report out on. Um, and I think their, their pricing model is interesting. It, it sort of is priced to grow with the success of, of their clients. Nice. Third question. Favorite place to learn about marketing online? Um, podcasts, actually. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love hearing and just listening to different stories about like GTM leaders, marketing leaders um, share, you know, how they built their teams and how they found success on, on podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Fourth question, most important growth metric. Yeah, um, this might be a cop-out answer, but you know, I don't, I don't have a one specific growth metric primarily because I think uh, a standalone metric isn't necessarily valuable unless it's in relation to, to like metrics over time or other metrics. So I think you actually need the full scope of uh, the, the journey metrics to tell you the, the story of, of growth or success. Yeah, definitely. Then fifth and final question, best piece of advice for fellow marketers? <laughs> um, I, I say this to my, my direct team a lot um, when we're designing and developing um, d different plans or, or go-to-market um, campaigns, but Occam's Razor. So I think um, simplest solution or simplest explanation is almost always the best one. So always start with that. And then if we want to build on top of that, we can add complexities from there on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Start simple, keep it simple. Can never go wrong with that. So awesome. Well, Caroline, I have to say this was absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for coming on the Growth Hub podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. (laughs) That was Caroline Guo on how to 2x pipeline and use acquisition in just one and a half years. So thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by Growth Marketing Agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember to